It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 at the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app with you for the next 60 minutes as we get into a lot of NFL news. Boy, it was a very busy Tuesday in the National Football League. So we'll delve into that. And a reminder, multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can find us on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. And you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So before, obviously, we delve more into the draft, we're going to have the start of the new league year a week from today as the activity will get going next Monday, but then deals can officially be finalized by next week, which is the 16th. So we had a trade yesterday. We had a quarterback stay put, which wasn't a surprise. We had the franchise tag deadline come and go. So plenty to get into before we open up the phone lines again into some other topics, Paul. And let's start with clearly the biggest news, which is the quarterback carousel. And Aaron Rodgers staying put, I don't think was stunning. I expected him to stay in Green Bay, so I'm not surprised that they got a deal done. I think it's a good move for both sides. He still has a lot of gas in the tank, and that to me is the best opportunity for him to win the division and get to the playoffs. I think the bigger surprise was Russell Wilson being shipped from the Seahawks out of the NFC to the Denver Broncos, and the Broncos were reportedly at least interested in getting Aaron Rodgers. Not a bad consolation prize to end up with Russell Wilson, and there was a lot of tentacles as part of this trade in terms of the breakdown. You've got Russell Wilson in a fourth rounder going to Denver, Seattle in return gets two first-rounders, two second-rounders, a fifth-rounder, and then three players. Drew Locke, the quarterback, Shelby Harris, the defensive lineman, and then Noah Fant, their young tight end. So a lot of movable parts, but now Denver adds a quarterback, which was their million-dollar question in a division that is now flooded with answers under center. Well, Denver having the ninth pick overall in this draft, and Regardless of what you think about these quarterbacks, we all know they tend to get overdrafted. And there was certainly an opportunity for Denver at nine, you would think, to get certainly, if not the quarterback of their choice, certainly their second quarterback of choice. Now they don't have to do that because they just got Russell Wilson. So so that's one team in the top ten that now will not be looking for a QB that may have potentially taken the dive and taken one of these guys higher than maybe some people thought. Well, and then on top of that, we should mention that first-round pick was part of the trade. So they don't even have access to that first-round pick anymore because that's right. going to the Seattle that's Seahawks. True. But no, you're right. They wouldn't have needed to grab a quarterback even if they still had that pick because now that you have Russell Wilson, yeah, you may be at least somewhat thinking about the backup quarterback position, but Russ has been fairly durable with the exception of the finger injury last season. So that certainly solidifies them under center. But if you were to ask me, even based on what they got in return, Paul, and I don't know where you stand on this, I would much have much rather have Russell Wilson than that entire package of picks. You can tell me all you want about they have options and they can address a lot of needs. Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, and Noah Fant are nowhere near the level of a difference maker that Russell Wilson is. We'll have to see what becomes of all of those picks. But if I'm Seattle, I'm a little bit surprised. Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll have teamed up, and they have had one winning season after another. 
and they have proved that they could do that consistently with the exception of last year because he missed the bulk of the season. So if I'm Seattle, I wasn't ready to sacrifice what was absolutely a franchise quarterback. I'm a little bit surprised that they're this quickly going in a different direction. Well, I'm going to kind of give you a mixed bag on this, Lance. If you're Denver and you believe you're a quarterback away, much like the Rams felt last year when they made the deal for Stafford, I understand why you did this. And it's going to be very hard to second-guess them, given that that was the missing piece that should give them a legitimate chance to vault into Super Bowl contention. But at the same time, if I'm Seattle, I absolutely ripped them off big time. I think they got way more than they should have gotten. In my opinion, and football people I've already talked to in the last day, three very experienced football people all said to me, Russell Wilson is on the way down. Make no mistake about it. And last year, he showed a lot of wear and tear. Much like when Peyton Manning wound up going to Denver. You know, at the very end there, he was not nearly the same player that he once was. And he kind of struggled and limped along like a tortoise to the finish line. Well, he had a severe neck injury. No question. forget about that. No, 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 no question. I'm not talking about them in terms of their health or their injury history. I'm talking about their performance history. Russell Wilson, and I'm not a golfer, folks, you know that. He is easily on the back nine. In fact, he's much further along on the back nine than maybe some people want to admit. And Denver better hope that the rest of the components on their team are really as good as they think they are. Because if so, then Russell Wilson just has to be the missing piece without necessarily having to be the guy to drive the truck. In my opinion, and in a lot of football people's opinion, Russell Wilson is no longer the elite guy who's going to go out there and win three or four games by himself anymore. He's just not that player at this point in his career. He's on the down. The arm is showing some wear and tear. The accuracy has gone downhill. I don't care what the numbers say. You watch this guy. Look at look at the eye test. He's not the same player he was even three or four years ago. And we all know he also had the, the hand injury, which clearly is something you have to consider as the guy gets older and older, not to mention how many times he's been sacked over the course of the last half a dozen years. He has been brutalized and beaten like an egg back there. So I think Seattle did great. They, they got someone to open up the keys to Fort Knox, or the doors to Fort Knox, and they absolutely fleeced Denver in this trade. Well, first of all, Russell Wilson's never missed a game prior to this past season, so I'm not overly concerned about his durability, and the finger injury was a result of the helmet hit the finger, and you know, that happened to Drew Brees, too, so I mean, that could happen to anyone. I don't know necessarily if that's a red flag and an indication that he may not be able to hold up moving forward. Uh, Numbers-wise, he's been consistent for the bulk of his career, and he hasn't had an overwhelming amount of talent around him, and he still managed to win a lot of football games, and once again help them thrive offensively. And I would say he's the guy that stirs the pot because when you look at the talent that's been around him, whether it's been the offensive line, whether it's been the running backs that have been in and out of the lineup, you know, he's had some wide receivers here or there, but he hasn't had years where he's had three legitimate playmakers. Maybe Denver provides that, but the jury is still out. Jerry, Judy, Cortland, Sutton, still young guys. I like the running backs with Javante Williams. We'll see if they re-sign Melvin Gordon. They've got a good defense. They're certainly in a position where they don't need Russell Wilson to shoulder the load, but it's a very tough division. you got to deal with... A lot of high elite quarterbacks, some good defenses, even with Russell Wilson. Denver's not a lock to get out of there, Paul. 
in terms of the makeup of that division. I just, I'm looking at it more from Seattle. I understand. I'm completely with you. If I'm Denver, without any hesitation, I'd give up all of that. You have had a gazillion different quarterbacks over the last six seasons since Peyton Manning parted ways with you and retired. You need to solidify that position. I'm looking at it more from Seattle. You can tell me all you want about the ninth overall pick. Maybe gives them an opportunity to get Malik Willis or whoever they want. No one is coming in and coming with any near the level of resume as Russell Wilson. And considering he never missed a game prior to this past season, I would much rather ride out Russell Wilson for another four to five years than all of a sudden reset the clock. I would say Seattle's in a complete total rebuild. And they're thinking to themselves, Russell Wilson is expensive. Russell Wilson is getting older. Russell Wilson has much fewer treads left on his tire. It's time to uh, reboot. And let's get a younger, more uh, economically uh, friendly quarterback in here. I I totally understand. what I think both teams benefited from this. Let me make that very clear. I think Seattle got a boatload for what they gave up. But I also believe that if you're Denver, you've got to make the move. So I think it's a good trade for both teams. But the actual price itself for Russell Wilson, I I think Seattle has to be very pleased. Well, Seattle should be pleased when you compare it to the Matthew Stafford deal and some of the other recent trades. I'm with you there. And I have no problem with what Seattle got back in terms of the package. I'm just looking at the land of the unknown. We don't know what's going to become, Paul, of the two first-rounders and the second-rounders and the fifth-rounder. We just don't know. It's all rolling the dice. Sure. Anything with the draft, just like when the Giants have made trades, right, and they've gone in picks. For example, they made the trade with the Bears last year. Okay, they got the fifth and the seventh. We have to see what becomes of that fifth and the seventh pick. You can tell me all you want. Assets this, assets that. It's what becomes of the assets. It's not simply just having the assets. So, yeah, Seattle's got a lot of assets, but there's no guarantee that one of those assets becomes Russell Wilson. That's my point. And if Russ was in the position of Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, where you're that much more up there in age, you're that much more up there in terms of maybe questions about durability, a finger injury doesn't scare me at this point when he never missed a game, then I'd be maybe in more of a position, okay, let's get some salary cap relief. They also part of ways with Bobby Wagner. I get it. I just I didn't look at Seattle in that position right now. I get it. Their division is competitive. But look, if you're Russell Wilson, you're going from one competitive division to another one that's probably just as much challenging. And he had to remember, he had to sign off, Paul, on the no-trade clause that he had in Mm -hmm. order to facilitate this trade. Right. So at least from his mindset, I don't think he's necessarily improving his opportunity to win a Super Bowl versus if he stayed in Seattle for the next four to five years. The path is not that much easier. I think Denver has a better team than Seattle as we stand here today. But in terms of the makeup of the division, though, I'm not well, disputing— it's a really good division that, that, okay. that Denver is in. I wouldn't dispute that for one second. But I do think Seattle has a better 50—I mean, uh, Denver's got a better 53 than Seattle, at least projection-wise, going into this summer. And I feel the same way. I do think Denver right now has a good roster. We'll see what happens with what Seattle does in terms of free agency and the draft. But I just look at the path. you got to deal with Kansas City twice, Justin Herbert and the Chargers, who were on the brink of making the playoffs. They remember lost to the Raiders in the last game of the season. And the Raiders now have Josh McDaniels and Patrick Graham going over there. So who knows what they're going to look like. It's just it's no picnic in terms of what you're dealing with in the AFC West. Now, I'll other- give you one more thing, Lance, just sure. a, as a kind of an aside. And, and I know it's probably not a huge monumental factor, but honestly, 
do you think the Seahawks people, Pete Carroll and everybody else in that office, was a little tired of all the distracting BS that they had to hear? Russell Wilson may want to trade, may not want to trade. This has gone on for, what, a year and a half about the rumors and the reports, the questions. Uh, Look, we all know, unfortunately, we all know that the outside interference can become a distraction, whether or not it should. You don't want it to. Bill Parcells never wanted that to. He always talked about the media being communist subversives because all they would do was whip up some crap and cause trouble for his team. Well, today, we are in a social environment and a media environment that thrives and thirsts to whip up crap that will be a distraction and cause trouble for your team. And that's the kind of stuff that the Seahawks have had to endure now for the last year and a half. Don't you think maybe part of this, too, is we're done with that now? He's traded. He's gone. We don't have to deal with any of those outside distractions about the franchise quarterback and the beloved Russell Wilson being unhappy or maybe wanting a trade. That's uh, that's one component now. Pete Carroll can put his head on the pillow at night and not deal with it. Well, but then Pete Carroll's going to have to now all of a sudden understand what life is like without Russell Wilson. Well, and that's I true. Think you much rather would put up with some of the rumors. And here's another reason why I don't think that played much of a factor. You could have argued Green Bay could have done the same thing. Get rid of Aaron Rodgers. Don't deal with the drama anymore. Difference is Green Bay's a much better team and much closer to contention than Seattle. I'm telling you, Seattle's in a rebuild. And so they're well, going to. St- when you part ways with Russell Wilson, you're absolutely heading in a different direction. No, but, well, but but they're going to win with him anyway. No, I see. I disagree with you. I, all look right, at, that's look fine. at what they do. hold on. But Paul, look at what the Seahawks have done with Russell Wilson prior to this year. And remember, he missed three games. You missed three games. It's they still went seven and ten. If he played those three games, they could have got to nine wins maybe. And who knows? Maybe we are talking about wild card. They had at least ten wins. Okay, in every season. Since Russell Wilson became the starter in 2012, with the exception of 2017, when they won nine games, they missed the playoffs. That was the only year they missed the playoffs, with the exception of, of course, this past year, because they had a sub-500 record. With that track record, you're going to tell me that Russell Wilson doesn't give you a decent chance to remain competitive and win football games? I'm sorry, the evidence is overwhelmingly in favor of Russell Wilson there, Paul. It's kind of like the stock market. Past history does not guarantee future results. I'm talking about 2020. They went 12 and 4, though, Paul. 2020. I'm not talking about. 2020 Look, Lance, was- Lance, 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 this is 2022 coming up. Okay. Russell Wilson is another two years older from then. He's gone through the hand injury. The team has deteriorated since then. The offensive line has allowed him to get much more beaten up than it was two years ago. This is a pointless conversation. Well, He's not the same player. No. Are you the same person you were two years ago? Come on. You're not. Well, in terms of differences with respect to what? I'm not an NFL quarterback, so it's a silly comparison, Which, uh, number one. Well, okay, but even more so with the, with the amount of physical skills that you have to have to compete at the highest level in this league, when there begins to be a deterioration, it gets nosed very quickly, and that cliff starts to get steeper and steeper and steeper. Russell Wilson is on the down. Seattle knows it. And they got rid of them because that's one less headache they got to deal with as they rebuild this team. 
They are so much better off. But look, this is a giant show, not a Seattle show. So well, but we're I, I don't, I don't about, want to. I don't need to argue this. Well, with you. but NFL free agency impacts the entire league, and the Giants are actually going to be playing the Seahawks, so it is somewhat relevant in terms of the upcoming season. Once we find they, out who their quarterback is, sure, it will be. Of course, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, listen, Paul, you and I just disagree about Russell Wilson. That's okay. I don't think that he's fallen off a cliff because in 2020 to 2021, you're telling me the man dramatically changed. In 2020, he had 40 touchdown passes and 13 interceptions. I don't care about 2020. I care okay. about 22. Well, but the last time, yeah, but you know what? If we were having this conversation about Eli Manning, you'd be drooling down your throat, okay? Oh. So, you know, what's the difference here? He doesn't wear a Giants uniform, so now he's a crappy quarterback? I mean, come on. This That's ridiculous. No, this has nothing to do with that. Well, but clearly, if I'm telling you, if Russell Wilson was wearing a Giants uniform, Paul, he had, I he had, he'd be a, he a, had a hand injury. He, he had a hand taken, injury with forced has, to miss three he, games. He, uh, yes. That's it. Okay. And, and, and the scouts who I have talked to during the season said to me, my God, the Giants better not trade for Russell Wilson because this guy is on the down. Well, first of all, I and don't think the Giants and, are in a position to give up that level of assets okay, for a guy but like as that you anyway. recall, there were a bunch of fools in the media who was suggesting over the last year that the Giants make a deal for Russell Wilson. Did you not read that stuff? Yeah, that was okay. speculation. And, there wasn't anything so that was 100% I decided to talk to some scouts and say, listen, I just want your opinion because I think Russell Wilson's on the down. What do you guys see? Three scouts all told me Russell Wilson is definitely on the down, and it's fool's gold. If you're the Giants and you trade for him, forget about the money or the price or whatever it was going to cost you cap-wise to do it. They said to me, in terms of what you think you're going to get, it's not going to be. Russell Wilson is on the decline, period, end of story. And they said the same thing about Tom Brady, too, did they not? In New England in his last few years? Yes. And then Tampa Bay took a flyer on him, and Tom, he won a Tom Super Tom Brady, who is the alpha male of, of the entire National Football League. He's the, the – him and Bill Belichick are the two guys who are the exception to every well, rule that's Belichick ever existed. But Belichick has nothing to do with Brady's performance, though, and his durability. I'm just talking about Tom uh. Brady, the individual, on an island. You're going to tell me he was falling apart? And he couldn't produce, and he was older than Russell Wilson. Pearson, you want to do this show with this guy today? Sure. You can, listen, Paul. I'm just I'm asking for a better explanation I'm, I'm, than what you're throwing I'm, out. I'm, That's all. I well, just I'm not buying anything. Three, you're three to sell veteran him. NFL scouts who are trained to make those decisions all tell me that Russell Wilson is seriously on, on okay. the decline. So three the, scouts the out of slope, 32 teams that have multiple scouts. Well, how many scouts have you talked to about Russell Wilson? I talked to plenty of people in the National Football scouts, League. Scouts. Scouts. No, I talked to people. I may not be scouts. scouts former head coaches and general managers. Scouts I haven't heard anyone. This for a That's living. Fine. So every scout is 100% accurate in terms of their Didn't assessment? Didn't say that. But the, the, What's I got, the track I got, record of those uh, three whatever. scouts? Well, what's the track record of those three scouts? I'd love to hear. Give me their resumes. Who have they drafted? Who have they passed up on, Paul? You know, when you throw out anonymous people like that, that's you, you know what you're doing? You're doing what you accuse the media of being guilty of. Hiding behind the facade of anonymous people who throw garbage out there and try to stick on a wall. You're doing the same thing you accuse the media of doing. Are you not? I don't know who the three scouts you spoke to, and I don't know what their resumes are. So I'm supposed to take that and run to the bank? I mean, come on. That's ridiculous. That's silly. That's the bottom line. I'm, just because three people feel that way about Russell Wilson doesn't mean that's the consensus opinion. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of silly to look at it like that way. Now, before we get to the phone lines, we can move on to some other NFL news, which was the franchise tag. And there were 10 players that were tagged. There were eight players, excuse me, there were eight players that were tagged 10 last year. 
I think the biggest development of the franchise tag was, A, nobody from the Giants was tagged. I don't think that was a surprising development, but there were multiple tight ends that were tagged. We've got three tight ends. You got Mike Kosecki of the Dolphins. You got David Njoku of the Browns, and you got Dalton Schultz of the Cowboys. So with Evan Ingram set to hit the free agent market, it's possible that move could help his cause given the fact that he moves up the ladder in terms of one of the few tight ends that could be now attractive to other teams. So I think that's the biggest development as it pertains to the Giants with respect to the franchise tag. That's $11 million bucks uh, for the franchise tag for these tight ends. 10.9, I think it is. So we're, you know we could argue about some pennies here. But it's virtually $11 million bucks. Now, that's, that's a pretty decent price tag. The thing about, about uh, Ingram, Lance, he comes off, I know he went to the Pro Bowl. I don't think it was his most impressive season. I think you would agree with that. Uh, he probably had a better year going back a few ago. But he made the Pro Bowl nonetheless and is a good character guy. Everybody knows that. He's a good teammate, good character guy. That will help his cause if he winds up you know, getting uh, conversations with other teams. The injury factor is not going to help him because he certainly has had trouble staying on the field for a full season since he got into the NFL. Uh, but the variable here, and, and I don't know if you and I were on the program when we talked about this a week or so ago. It might have been with John. What we don't know is he seems to want to stay. And I, 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 you know, I can't tell you the last time he spoke publicly about this, but I've also had chats with him. He wants to stay here. Now, what do Dable and Shane think about him? And if they like him, and if they think that he's got tools that can be used in Dable and Kafka's systems, so to speak, is it possible? And I, I just don't want to offhanded say it can't be done. Is it possible that maybe he does wind up resigning here? for a economically friendly deal with incentives or something that's got a, a, a ghost year on the back so that it wouldn't hurt them so much cap-wise. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if that, if that still has a small possibility. I'm not saying it's likely because I don't think it is, especially with a very deep tight end draft. But is it possible that Ingram might wind up back here again? I wouldn't rule it out to your point. I think if you ask Brian Dable, does he look at Evan Ingram? Does he feel like he could do things that Dawson Knox did? If the answer is yes, then maybe there's some intrigue. I think, though, if you're Evan Ingram, I think you want to hit the market right now. Wouldn't you? If you're his agent, wouldn't you be advising him based on the three guys that got the franchise tag? Whether or not something comes to fruition, I would rather take my chances in testing the market a little bit than just accepting what the Giants are offering immediately, if I'm Evan. Mm -hmm. Because I think financially, whether or not we believe that he's done enough to warrant $11 million or whatever, and I'm not saying that he's going to get that, but I do think that the market is much more attractive right now as it stands today than what perhaps it looked like three, four weeks ago. So I would rather, if I'm Evan, I'd rather take my chances and see what's out there before I just settle for perhaps what the Giants would be willing for me to come back on. Yeah, I, I absolutely understand that point of view. And in, in this particular case, I think the interesting part for us is there's not a holdover coaching staff. We know how Joe Judge yeah, there's no was ties. a huge fan, right? Huge sure. fan of Evan Ingram. How many times did he tell us, I love coaching this guy. He's my favorite guy to coach. 
Well, with the new coaching staff in here, not to mention the new GM, there's really no way for us to know any impressions that they may have of him. None. And that's what makes it really, really hard to handicap, if you will, for lack of a better term. Well, I will say this. If Dable does bring him back, I think that there is usage for Evan Ingram, especially with, remember, Sterling Shepard's coming off the Achilles injury and... We don't know what's going to be happening with respect to the receiving core. You could certainly find targets and opportunities for Evan, but I think financially where the Giants are at right now, there are other needs. I don't know if it's a priority to try to match what he could perhaps also get out there in the market. So to me, with bringing back Evan, it would have to be an economic sound decision. Yeah. In my opinion, Paul, as opposed to just bringing him back simply because there's some intrigue and you're envisioning what you could potentially do. With totally him. agree with you on that. And really, uh, you're going to have to deal with not only the economics, but again, because of his injury history, although he was able to be relatively durable this past year, uh, you're also going to need the medics to say, look, at this point in his career, with the accumulation of what he's dealt with, what do you think the risk factor is and how much can we expect to get from him in terms of snaps, given where he's at in his career? Those are calculations they've got to make. But again, it is a deep tight end draft. The only trouble with the Giants right now is, and I know John mentioned this the other day, and it's very true, Rudolph isn't here anymore. Caden Smith had a really serious knee injury last year. So when you look at the tight end spot, uh, you know, it is really, really thin. Well, that's why I think if they wanted to go out, they wanted to get a blocker in free agency that's not going to cost a lot of money. I could see that. And then you use the draft to maybe get your up-and-coming playmaker. You could do that. That could be the ideal marriage if the Giants want to bring in some tight ends. It doesn't have to be a tight end that does every single role. Because even if you look at Buffalo, I went back and I was referencing this, I think, earlier in the week. I brought up Lee Smith, who has since retired, but Lee Smith was that... Big presence, additional offensive linemen. Sometimes they target him in the red zone, but they didn't ask him to play every snap and get target after target. They utilized Dawson Knox and some other guys. So I could see Brian Dable adopting a very similar philosophy in terms of how he puts together this tight end group. That's at least something to monitor here moving forward. All right, Lance Meadow, Paul DeTino with you. Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. As we look forward to the 2022 season, Giants fans, you can secure your season tickets for only $100. Limited seats are available. Speak with a Giants ticket representative now. Become a, t a season ticket member. You call 888-NYG-1925. All right, let's open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Duke is in Queens, gets us going. What's happening, Duke? Yo, what's up, guys? Um few things to talk about in the question. Um, well, but before I do that, really not going to go far. Just going to say that I agree with Lance, and I'll leave it at that. Um, you know, I hadn't called since the last draft, and I was going to call during the season after we completed the first time and the first game, and then the rest of the season happened, and I said, okay, forget that, because, you know, I don't. I know you guys don't mind people calling to be negative, but it's more for me. Like I don't want to call and talk about my favorite team in a negative light. So I just said, you know what, forget about it. So looking forward now. Um, I'm happy with who we hired. I'm happy about the head coach. Uh, you see, you see Brian Dayball in in his press conference, and you see him. I think you guys had a video of him at the draft and. Uh, I think Steve Smith came up to him and was rubbing his shoulder. So you see these things, and, you know, they're not doing things because the camera's on. Nobody 
is doing things because a camera is on them. They don't know half the time a camera is on them. And so when I see people show that much love and appreciation for Brian Dayball and treat him the way they treat him, that makes me feel good as a fan looking in, and I'm happy about that. Um, as far as the draft, the upcoming draft, uh, I want BPA. I don't care if you don't take a tackle or a guard in the first round. My preference is that we do take a tackle in the first round. And my preference for specific players is if we can get one of the tackles, any of them, at five, unless it's cross, because I prefer cross at seven, then let's do that. And then if we take cross at seven, then I would hope that Kayvon has fell down and we take him at five. So that's my preference. Either Kayvon and a tackle or one of the tackles and Sauce Gardner. That's what I would love for us to do in the first round. And so my question is this, um, and then I have a comment after. Who benefits the most from uh, Wink Martindale being our DC? Like, what specific player, in you guys' opinion, benefits the most from him being our DC? Wow. What player? Yeah. yeah. You're talking about positional value with respect to what type of a player, like a linebacker who could get after the quarterback, a cover guy. Is that what you're sort of referring to? Yeah, but if you do that game, then like there are, you know, like if you do that, then I would assume. Okay, let's say you say outside linebacker. I would assume you mean the Z's. but you could do whichever. You could do position or player. I mean, I I would guess. I mean, Ojolari and McKinney. I would think two young guys, one guy, a pass rusher who may have very, very high upside, and the other guy, a versatile impact player in the secondary who obviously has a tremendous amount of upside. I don't think there's any doubt about that one at all. So I would say those two guys, but I don't necessarily know that Wink Martindale is the only D.C. who could get the best out of them. I think if Patrick Graham had stayed, I think those guys could still be on the ascent. I okay. think Ojolari and McKinney are great players that I think would fit what Martindale wants to do in terms of his aggressiveness. Uh, Logan Ryan, because of his versatility, I'd throw out there because, you know, Martindale does move some guys around in terms of what he asked them to do. So that's another player that I would throw out there. And Julian Love is another one that I think is intriguing to see what he can utilize given his versatile skill set. But Ojolari and McKinney, because of their youth and their upside, I would think if Martindale could put them in great positions to thrive, you know, those are two guys to certainly monitor this upcoming season. All right, and then one more thing on Wink Martindale, and I'll take our answer off the air. And thank you guys for the call. Um, what, what, in your opinion, do you gain with having him over Patrick Graham? And what do you lose with having him over Patrick Graham? Because and I ask this because I was a big, big fan and believer of Patrick Graham. And, you know, it was sad to see him go. But the more you read and the more you listen about uh, how Wink Martindale runs his scheme and runs his defense, the more you sort of salivate and you love what he's doing. So I came around to the idea of him being the new DC. So I just was curious because there has to be a give and take here. You don't, it's not the same person. It's not the same scheme. No, what every defensive coordinator is different. Sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. We'll let you go on that note, Duke. Appreciate the phone call. Well, Paul, the the first thing that comes to mind for me in terms of the trade-off is, I mean, Martindale is one of the most aggressive defensive coordinators in the NFL. Yes. Not to say that Patrick Graham wasn't aggressive, but Martindale, if you look at the Ravens' blitz percentage, they were up there in Mm -hmm. terms of the top three pretty much every single year he served as the defensive coordinator. So, I mean, that's a significant gain if you want to word it that that way I would say what you lose and it's not necessarily so much Martindale it's the fact that you're now losing the continuity and the chemistry within the scheme because now all of these guys what Patrick Graham asked them to do and the comfort level they received over the last two years that's removed now they have to start fresh because Martindale is going to ask them to do different things so that to me is the biggest sacrifice that comes to mind I would agree with you 100% on that and in terms of just the philosophy although I don't know if gain is the right word yes he is habitually one of the most aggressive DCs in the league that just means it's a different philosophy sure. I don't know if that means it's better I mean look at it because there's way. risk involved in sure it. yeah it's higher yeah. risk higher reward um so will it turn out to be a gain I don't know it's certainly the contrasting philosophy in that he is ultra aggressive he does believe in disguises much like Patrick Graham those are both heavily disguised pre-snap guys who will do different things in the post-snap they're both very much in favor of doing that but with Martindale it's more about disguising the aggression that you're going to bring or intimidating you with what he's showing you and then backing out. With Patrick Graham, it's more, are we playing man or are we playing zone? Are we playing the two deep or are we playing one deep? We we sneaking up that safety into the box to play against the run? Or, you know, it's a he disguised different parts of the scheme than Martindale does. And, of course, the bend but don't break that Graham utilized was incredibly effective, ineffective, I should say, because we know, Lance, that the Giants were one of your better red zone defenses because of that. So I, I, is that a gain? I don't know if it's a gain, but it's certainly a very big difference. And that's also why you look at aggressiveness two different ways. It could be a good thing if everybody executes, but it could really backfire on you if you all of a sudden overcommit (laughs) and then you leave guys out on an island. So there's a give and take just within that conversation in terms of the aggressiveness. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. James is in Connecticut, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, James? Hey, so um, I do not want... Um, Trubisky as a quarterback, I hope that doesn't happen. But if it does, um, I just see two mediocre quarterbacks underneath this on the Giants team. I don't, I don't, I don't see like that happening. I don't, I don't want that to happen. And also, what can we do with our receiver, our receivers on our team? You know, I mean, we got a lot of injuries. We got Kenny, Kenny um, Galladay. That's where all the money is going. Tony, I've seen some things about him, but he also missed a lot of games. Shepard, you don't know whether he's staying or going. He's injured. And then you have Darius Slayton. He plays the game, but it seems like every time he lace up, he's not at 100%. So... 
after that, I don't know who, who we can really rely on. Well, and you named pretty much the entire receiving core right there. I mean, when, I mean, James, when you say, I don't know after that, I mean, let's put it this way. If all four of those guys that you named are not healthy next season, That's a problem. Yeah, you're going to be in trouble, okay? I mean, not every team has 10 wide receivers and four guys that could easily replace those guys. That's a problem. Yes. Yeah, so what are the possibilities of us drafting a receiver? Now, if we draft a receiver in the first round, I know the Giants fans will go crazy because everybody looking at um, pass rusher and tackle, which I agree. I, I don't think we should pick up a receiver, but I wouldn't completely rule it out. I, I can see us pick two or three. And also, is there a possibility, my question is, is there a possibility that we could get rid of Kenny Galladay. I know we just signed up to his big contract, but is there a possibility we could get a contract with him? And that's all I got. Thank you. That'd be pretty hard to the do. Phone call. Yeah, that'd be yeah. pretty hard to do, Lance, given the economic factors of Galladay's deal. But let me run something by you, and maybe maybe you see something different here that I don't see. Okay, um, it's been generally accepted from the folks who were out at the combine that Mitch Trubisky is looking for a starting job in the National Football League. Now, Mike Tannenbaum was on ESPN two days ago and said there are at least 10 teams who would be interested in Mitch Trubisky potentially as a starter. And uh, I know it's been reported, I believe Pro Football Network uh, has said there's three or four teams that are hot in pursuit of him. And for some reason, they mentioned the Giants. But here's where it gets real sticky for me, Lance. And uh, seriously, I'm going to defer to you on this one because maybe you can figure it out because I can't. According to Tannebaum, he said, given the climate, it is it is the common thought around the league, Trubisky's going to get a one-year $16 million deal to land where he lands. It's going to take about 16 mil to do it, especially with the competition that's supposedly trying to land him. I don't see any way in God's creation that the Giants would entertain Mitch Trubisky when you're talking about the price tag that's attached to him. I see the Giants spending perhaps in the $3 million area. I had this conversation with Fiegels on the show yesterday. I see them maybe devoting $3 million to the backup quarterback. Uh, and you know what? If if you can get Marcus Mariota, who made 3.5 this year, to take $3 million, that would be along the ilk of the guys that I would think would be on the shelf for the Giants to consider. But Mitch Trubisky, even if he's going to get between 10 and 12, with the Giants' salary cap problems, they're basically they're going to be lopping off arms and legs just trying to get under the cap. Maybe, maybe with the ability to sign one decent level free agent at a position they desperately need who might have to start. How are you going to give that kind of money to Mitch Trubisky? I don't see this being realistic in any way, shape, or form, aside from what we might think philosophically you believe about Trubisky and bringing him in to uh, work uh, against or compete with Daniel Jones. I don't, the numbers simply don't make any sense at all. 
Well, Trubisky made $2.5 million as the backup Bills quarterback last right. year. Right? Correct. So if the Giants had conversations with him and they said, Mitch, you know, we want you to come in, be our backup, we'll let you compete with Daniel Jones, we'll give you 3 to $4 million. sign me up for that, Paul. I'm with you. Economically, I think that makes sense. What have I told you in the wake of last season? The Giants need to upgrade the backup quarterback position. And sure. Trubisky, whether you love him or not, he is a significant upgrade over Glennon and Fromm. Okay? I don't think there's any question. I'm not saying that he's going to Canton, but he's an upgrade there. I'd spend 3 to $4 million on Mitchell Trubisky. If we're talking about $10 million to pay a backup quarterback and there's no guarantee he's going to start, yeah, I don't see how the Giants financially can even entertain that. Washington could entertain that. They sure. need a starting quarterback. Pittsburgh can entertain that. And a few other teams. And I do think there's going to be teams that are going to offer perhaps Mitchell Trubisky a legitimate chance to not just come in and compete, Paul, to start. And if I'm Mitchell Trubisky, you sacrificed already one year sitting behind Josh Allen. Do you really want to do that another year? And then you're going to have a new quarterback class come in? The point is, I think the clock is ticking for Trubisky. I want to get back on the field. I want to make money. I want to get back on the field. I think this free agency period offers him that because this draft class doesn't have as much hype. And I think he will have at least one place that is willing to give him a starting job. So if the finances add up that way, yes, I'm with you. I find it very hard to believe that the Giants can afford to bring in a guy for $10 million. I'm even thinking of when Andy Dalton, if you recall, went mm -hmm. to the Dallas Cowboys, which was a very good move was by them. Six? because. Now, I'm trying to look up exactly what Andy got because Andy didn't even get $10 million. And Andy was a far more polished veteran and proven guy, Paul, than Mitchell Trubisky yeah, at sure, that point. So I'm sure. looking up what Andy Dalton. He signed a one-year deal for $7 million. Seven. Seven, okay? And $7 million is even still high for a backup quarterback in the, this league. I don't think the Giants can pay seven. Yeah. I'd be very surprised if they can entertain that. But would you go, would you go four to $5 million? If you could get a decent answer, a backup quarterback, I'd be willing to go four to five million. But five would be my cutoff. I wouldn't go higher than five. Yeah, that's asking a lot. Yeah, well, I I think that is really reaching the ceiling. It would have to be a really special circumstance, and I would have to be able to configure it in a way that it's going to keep the first year's number down. Well, I'd put incentives in it. Paul, yeah, you'd right? have to. I would say, you'd listen, if if you start X amount of right. games, you'd have Mitch, to. If you throw X amount of passes and yardage, then you get to that $5 million total. Yeah. That's how I would structure with, with it. With incentives, I could potentially see something going as high as that, maybe. But again, if you're him and you know that there's a team out there that's going to say, hey, we want you to come in and be the starter, it makes no sense for him to sure. come here. And yeah. I don't care how friendly he is with the Bills people who have joined the Giants. That's not going to be enough, especially when the Giants team owner has already said they want to give Daniel Jones a real shot to progress in his career as the starter. I, 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 it just makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah, the finance is a big part of the conversation. The only thing I will say is, in addition to showing support for Daniel Jones, Joe Shane has said on multiple occasions that they do need to improve the backup quarterback position. Yes. He has said that, so you can understand that they would be maybe entertaining an idea with some proven free agent based on what happened last year and the fact that Daniel Jones hasn't proven that he can remain durable for an entire season. All right, let's head back to the phone lines. CJ is in the Bronx joining us. What's happening, CJ? Good afternoon, guys. Good afternoon. Um, I got. I, I got a comment about on Monday's show how how the status quo was not status quo. Hey guys, said there was no difference between like the 14th player to the to the to the 15th player. 
We well, got well, uh, da- we Daniel, well, let me make sure we clarify that. Daniel Jones on NFL Network. Daniel Jeremiah. I'm sorry, Daniel Jones. Well, Daniel, Daniel Jones <laughs> is doing analysis. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> he can do it all, including yeah, sell peanuts. Exactly. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah said that, in his opinion, players 15 through 60 are on the same level. It's a, it's a very homo- – ho- uh, what's, what's the word? What, what is the word? Homogenous? Homogenous, yes, Pearson. Yes, nice, nice save. It's a very homogenous group between 15 and 60. That's what Daniel Jeremiah said. I'm, I think that's what you're referring to. Yeah, right, it was DJ that said it. The thing I was getting at was Woken Lloyd. Did we lose him? I think we may have lost CJ. I think yeah, so. I think he I think cut so. out. I don't know exactly whether he was about to reference a player. But, yeah, that I think is one of the biggest conversations, and we can at least expand upon his point with respect to what you were getting at, Paul, that maybe aside from the top five guys or so after that, you know, there's not necessarily a one guy must have, that there's sort of evenness across the board depending on whether you prefer a defensive player, an offensive player, and so forth. Now, that doesn't mean it's a bad draft class because sometimes those guys do pan out, right? I mean, let's not paint this as if, oh, no, you're not going to be able to help yourself if you're taking a player at 17 or 21. That's not what I'm saying. It's just, you know, normally we see depth in drafts where you could say, hey, the top 20 I mean, you could walk away with a Pro Bowl-esque type of player. I don't know necessarily if at least the projections are leading in that direction as it stands right now. Well, you know, Lance, there's always a couple of different ways to look at it. And and you could look at And we always say the first two days of the draft, right? First, second, and third rounds are clearly the most critical, although there are obviously times where those fourth, fifth, sixth-round picks become very important to your your team, especially depth-wise. And sometimes you get an overachiever who provide you great value at those later picks. But I think most people, when they look at the draft, they'll look at the first round only. And then some people will say, you know what, it's worth a little bit more to look at the first three rounds because that's day one and day two. Well, is it a great draft if it's got more Pro Bowl guys coming out of those first three rounds? Or is it a great draft, even if it's got fewer Pro Bowl guys, but has a whole lot more guys who are starters in the league? And I think it's what flavor do you like? You know, do you want more of the top-end guys coming out of that? Or do you want, uh, uh, you know, are you willing to accept fewer, but you get more starters? I mean, there have been drafts where you've seen just a, a sprinkling of Pro Bowl guys come out of the first round, and the rest of the first round is drag. And then there's other drafts where that first round provides two-thirds of the guys are, are starters in the league. It's, you know, which do you prefer? I think it depends on also the need of your roster. You know, do you need some substance to your point? Do you need multiple starters? Maybe we should word it, can you get contributors immediately? And I think you can get contributors immediately in this draft. Yes. I don't think that's a concern. It's just, I guess, the level of the contribution. But here's the thing. If you apply it to the Giants, the Giants have the fifth and the seventh overall picks. Assuming they stay in those two spots, I don't see why there's a level of concern that they can't get two guys at five and seven to come in year one and immediately contribute. You're darn well better, Lance. Yeah. Well, no, of course they better. No, but what I'm saying is if the caller's point was once you get beyond or Daniel Jeremiah's point, once you get to like 14, 15, 
then maybe there's less consensus in terms of how a pick is going to pan out. Yeah. The Giants are not in that ballpark right now. No, so I don't really think there's any all. concern from at least the Giants. Standpoint. And that's what I've tried to talk to John about, you know, because John is much more in favor of moving down, and so is uh, Jeff. I think you're probably a little bit more towards my side of the scale here, where if they've got conviction at five and seven, just go, just get the guy. That's it. If you've got conviction and you really believe, hey, this guy is going to do this, this, and this for us, we feel that strong, we're going to pound our fist on the table, then just take the two guys and don't worry about moving down. Yeah, I have no issue with that philosophy as well. I would always weigh you know, how good of an offer is, how can that help you maybe in 2023. The godfather but, offer is always the yeah, wild card. But, but right now, I think the Giants are in a good position to certainly maximize and grab two guys that could come in and immediately help because we've had this conversation. I've said it's the combination of the 2022 class with then hopefully the continued development of 20 and 21 and all three of those groups together is going to say an awful lot about the outlook of this team you're not just going to get necessarily two guys to put on the cape okay even with five and seven come in and all of a sudden this team dramatically turns around it's going to take more than just five and seven so you have to have the philosophy of the more volume you have amongst the last three years hopefully the better off you are to be much more competitive this season. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing is, and let's not forget, Carl Banks says with these rookies, you don't just add water. A lot of it's going to depend on what does this coaching staff bring to the table to develop these guys and quickly. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you here. Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's head back to the lines. Len is in Maryland, and he joins us. What's happening, Len? Hey, guys. How you doing? What's up, Len? What do you got for us? Um, come a quick comment on uh, uh, Mitch Trubisky. I, I believe Mitch Trubisky is one of the 64 best quarterbacks in the world. I do not believe he's one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the world. Oh, my goodness. Well, I, but I, a 64 quarterback would apply to a backup position, though. So yeah, yeah. he's then within the range well, of improving your backup well, quarterback position. Well, nothing more than that, Lance. Okay. No, well, but that's what we were sort of I'm, talking I'm not, about. I'm not bringing. Uh, I, I don't want. Yeah, this is me. I don't want Mitch Trubisky in here on a promise that he can compete with Daniel. In theory, Len. In theory, and I think this is a a valid conversation. In theory, and and Lance says he cap it off at five with incentives included. I probably would want to be a little bit lower, but I could see it if it was a specific circumstance for a guy you really felt you had to have. But what would you want a slot? Let's let's call it a slot, and financially for the quote number two quarterback on this roster. What what price would you be willing to pay? Understanding that this team has cap problems. Uh, I, um, in twenty two, you're talking about twenty twenty this year. Three this, to four this year, three, this year, three to, three to four million dollars, Paul. Okay, now automatically, and and Lance, ch- chime in on this. If you're going to say it's a one-year, three to four million dollar number that you're willing to devote to that slot, you've automatically right. narrowed the field down of, right. of free agents who are out there who are going to be willing right. to talk to you for that number, right? Right, right. right. So, so right. what you then have to do if you're the Giants, you have to start weeding through and seeing, okay, who can come into that ballpark? Who's going to fit that yep. budget for that yep. slot? Yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. think Trubisky fits that budget. Maybe he would for some strange reason, but I don't think he will. And then you have to start saying to yourself, Len, go through the list of free agent quarterbacks 
and 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 see based on their salaries last year that'll give you a somewhat of a guideline somewhat not everything who could possibly come in for something near that money and that's what well, you're going to have to live with well i think we both know that i think we all know if daniel doesn't work out next year i mean if he doesn't work out next year uh and we see him as a long range possibility it doesn't make any difference who we bring in as a backup quarterback, Paul. We're, we're going to go out and shop for quarterbacks. No question. Either in the yeah, draft, but we're talking about Belen. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about if Daniel misses five games, can you run your offense? Can you be competitive? Right. That's what we're talking about, Paul and I. At least, Paul, I'm not trying to put words no, no, in your you're mouth. Right. But that's, yeah, that's no, you're right. That's what I'm having because right. there were points. Yeah. Okay, what yeah. happened when Daniel got hurt this I, past season? It was like, ugly. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I, I, I think, and I'm, I'm, perhaps I'm showing overconfidence here in this coaching staff, but I think you can find a guy who can do that, Lance, who can run an offense competitively in, in, in the league. Well, I, I mean, mean but I, again, I, I, it's part of my optimism. Lance, it's part of my optimism track that it, I'm on. These again, days, I'm not know. saying these guys are connected here, but when you look at the names and the kind of numbers that will probably go around, I think that shelf is going to be the Tyrod Taylors of the world. And I could live with Taylor. Right? Maybe I think Taylor would be something. Right? He made about five yeah. and a half million last year. Just Maybe to give you an idea, m- which is why I looked at five million. Marcus Mariota, I think. Right? Mariota made. Three and a half last right? year. So, so those are the kinds of guys maybe who might be on that shelf because I don't think any of the three of us think you're going to be able to go higher than that shelf. That's about, well, as, that's that's about right. as good as it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Hey, uh, let, me, let, me, let me move on. Can I move on to another yeah. point? Yeah, real quick. Okay. Yeah, what do you got? Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, Lance, continuing on my optimistic track, I'm a happy man this morning that we're going to go to Seattle next year and play the Seahawks without Russell Wilson at quarterback. I like that. Well, I'm sure I everybody like the in the that, division I, likes I, that, I don't too. care who they start. I don't care who they start at quarterback. I feel good that Russell Wilson is not going to be quarterback for Seattle when we go up there. Well, they beat him in 2020. Well, well they, hey, there you go. With Colt McCoy um, playing quarterback I, for the Giants. <laughs> I'm, I'm, going to skip over, I'm going to skip over Ingram, and, and maybe it becomes more pertinent next week to go on to just, just one more point, if you would. Um, I'm, I'm holding on to the fifth and seventh pick. Listen, in this day and age, with what we saw at that combine, if you can't find two starters at five and seven, out of that group of players that we saw in Indianapolis, you're the wrong person for the job. We've got to go get somebody else to pick these players. There's players there at 5-7. and seven. There's players there even later than that. Uh, you, you just you got to find them. That, that's why we got these scouts. That's why we got this whole new front office to help us figure out who those guys are. But I'm for hanging on to 5-7. and seven. I... I, I this is spoken like a fan when I say this. I know you guys are going to beat me up on this a little bit. One of those two picks has got to be an offensive lineman. It's got to be an offensive lineman. Um, and the one guy I don't want it to be, he's getting too much, uh, too much positive thinking. I don't see it. It's the guy from Northern Iowa. Listen. Penning? You Penning, can't, yeah. Penning, yes. You can't, you can't draft a guy at five or seven from that level of college football. You, ju- you just can't do it. You, I mean, you got, you know, if you're going to give positional value, you've you got to give school value, too, and schedule value. Okay? 
of the uh, 324 Wentz, guys. Of the Carson Wentz was from North Dakota State. <laughs> he went with the second <laughs> overall pick, and he plays the most important position in the NFL, Len. So, you know, I mean, I get your point, but I think you also yeah. got to look at the skill set of the player, and that's why you have to look at the film. And also when he goes to the Senior Bowl, and Penny Richard. actually had a pretty good week at the Senior Bowl, how he competes against other players from higher-level programs. You know, that's this what you need guy, to make an evaluation of. Just, just, just one, just one point, and you could, you, 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 and you don't have to be a rabid pro football fan to understand this one, guys. He led the conference in penalties. Well, we were talking about right? that on a previous show. Yeah, yeah, he led the conference, and and there have been some questions about his technique. Yeah, and, but and that to, to me, this. but that has nothing yeah. to do with the school he okay. came from, Len. I'd be okay. evaluating <laughs> that if he played <laughs> at Florida State and led the nation. Right, let me, in penalties. let me put it. Uh, listen, anything after seven, I don't care where he goes. Okay. But here, here's, a, here, here's one other point. Youngstown State, Sacramento State, and St. Thomas, three of the four first games. Did you see anybody, edge rusher or defensive end, from any of those three schools at the Combine? I'm not saying that there's a high volume. I think I know where you're getting at. Darius Leonard, though, Lynn, okay, he came from South Carolina State. How did Darius yeah, Leonard the, pan yeah, out but for the Colts? But he came in the third round. No, he came in the second round. I understand well, that. Okay. But you, hold on. If we were to redo it, do you think everybody that passed on Darius Leonard wishes they could go back in time and take Darius Leonard? Well, you don't tell me. Nobody has course. any regrets. Of course. Of here's, course. The thing. I mean, here's the thing. Please don't hold the, the FCS school against any guy who was coming into the draft. You need to, to, to look a, with a little bit of skepticism when you talk about the level of competition. We all know that, okay? And that needs to be part of the equation that you consider. But don't automatically, yeah. automatically just berate the guy and say, oh, you know, you went to that school, so no, uh, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to push you to the side. You can't do that. Okay, okay one, one, one more quick thing, Th- and th- thanks for taking my call. Paul, I understand your, your last point. But please, not at five and seven of the first round. Please. Well, I don't. I would. On, well, let, let me just say this: I think Penning and John and I talked about him yesterday. He's apparently on a lot of people's boards, sneaking up into the bottom of the first round. I I don't know outside of a couple of mock drafts that just came out, and you know how Lance right. and I feel about right. mock drafts. Yep. Okay, Lance and I will will laugh our asses off about mock drafts all day. A couple of them, I believe, in the last twenty four hours, actually yep. have him going to the Giants at seven. I think, Ooh, which I oh think, which goodness. I th- I think is extremely <laughs> high, based on what most people believe. How's yeah. that? Hey, thanks, guys. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate you taking my call. Hi, Len. All right, Len. Hey, Len. Uh, uh, Lance, I want to make sure yeah. we get this in. Uh, uh, Aaron Wilson from Pro Football Network is reporting, and we do not have any confirmation on this, that Matt Gano, uh, Matt Gano, I'm sorry, the former Falcons offensive lineman, has agreeing to a deal with the Giants. Uh, this is rather important considering the thinness of the Giants' O-line. This is a 25-year-old guy who came off an undisclosed surgery, was on the PUP uh, last year, has played right tackle and left guard in this league, and the Falcons really thought that he was going to be an important part of their offensive line moving forward. And uh, right at the end of the season, they wound up, uh, again, because of his rehab, they, they wound up letting him go. And he's been on the street now rehabbing and visiting a bunch of teams in the last month. And if Aaron Wilson's report from Pro Football Network is accurate, um, he would be headed toward the Giants as 
uh, somebody who certainly would help their depth chart. At the very least, if not, uh, maybe compete for a starting job, I would think. Well, he's got some experience in the league. He's been in the league since 2018, but it's no different than some of the other free agents that they brought in in previous years to compete and to add some depth. The only bad news is he did go to Wesley College, Paul, okay? <laughs> Wesley College, okay? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to eliminate him based on that. Wesley College? I mean, come on. Who are they playing? Seriously. And he was undrafted. So let's not get too excited over him. All right, with that being said, let's head back to the phone lines. Chris is in the woodlands. Chris, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? Uh, how you guys doing? It's been a little while since uh, last spoke. Hi. Um, but, but uh, you know, uh, before Len's call, uh, you know, it was actually I was hoping I would have went right after or right before Len because it's it, it feeded into, like, what I wanted to talk about with regard to the draft. Now, Paul, I think, as usual, you know, my thinking is in line with yours, Lance, and I agree with a lot of things you say also, but my personal opinion is I would rather, and I'm going to base this on the Bears trade this past year, but I would rather turn two picks into eight. To me, like uh, Joe Shane said, as many shots on goal as possible. When we looked at that trade, we were at 11, moved to 20, so nine spots. So, you know, obviously the five and the seven is better than the 11 that uh, we had last year. But to get the fifth rounder last year, and then to get the first and the fourth uh, for this upcoming year, obviously you need a trade partner. But at five and seven, I w- I don't know if this is a dream scenario. Love your opinion on it. But if you could pull some type of similar trade like that, where you turn a total from two to eight players with that potential of getting three first rounders next year, and because it being five and seven better obviously than eleven, I would think instead of fourth and fifth rounds pick picks, maybe we could you know, get more second or third round picks out of that. So, you know, and I look at that also because you're getting even more youth, more players, better scouting, hopefully, uh, to get better players in those second, third round, you know, those day twos. Um, And then if the quarterback situation doesn't work out, arming yourself with three first round picks next year, you got to be able to, 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 to get the opportunity to get the best quarterback that you want next year. So, and it also helps with the cap because you're not paying the higher first-round salaries with those top ten picks. Uh, you're spreading it out a little bit more, and you're infusing a, a tremendous amount of youth. I know it's boring. Um, it's not what a lot of people want, but it is what it is, where we are as an organization. And well, uh, But just keep know. in mind, Chris, I mean, what we've told a lot of people who have called in, and you're not the first one that feels that way, is normally teams move up into the 5-7 area for a quarterback. So if this class is not, once again, overwhelming compared to other years, and last year actually had more appeal, yet there wasn't any team that moved up. I know there were a few swaps earlier before the draft even happened, but New England waited for Mac Jones, Denver chose not to take a quarterback, and there was a lot of speculation. That's normally what it takes to gain a lot of interest for a team to give you that appealing package to get the fifth or the seventh overall pick. And I just I don't know if this year's draft class allows for that level of environment and I think you at least just need to wrap your head around that and understand that if it was a very deep quarterback class I would say hey maybe the Giants could dangle it out there I just don't know if that environment's going to be provided for them this year the attraction in other words the attraction for somebody low in the first round to insist on moving up that high is probably not going to be there 
right, Lance? I mean, that's yeah. the way you well, and I and that's it. how it stands, at least in my mind, right now. Now, could things change? Could quarterback stocks all of a sudden skyrocket? Could another trade happen, Paul, and that changes the quarterback landscape? Absolutely. As it stands right now, I think if you want a quarterback, I think if you preach patience, I think you could very well wind up with the guy. The other, the other thing is to keep in mind, okay, and Lance and I are on the same page here, if you have conviction in two players – and, and you could get those two players at five and seven, you run to the podium and you do it. Now, if you don't, let's just say hypothetically, the Giants have conviction in five players. And by the time it gets to six at Carolina, those five guys are gone. And at seven, you no longer have a pound your fist on the table conviction. Then I think Lance I and I would be willing to move back a little bit, right? Yeah. I, I have no you. problem. If, if there's no conviction, so of course I wouldn't want to take anybody at five or seven if you don't feel great about the player. Now, at no. five, I find that hard to believe there won't be. I got to think right. that there's there's a fifth player there that's going to be on the board that they will have conviction about. Could you tell me that maybe it's seven, even though it's only two spots, could you tell me that's where it gets a little bit watered down? Maybe. Wait, you know, maybe. I I. I totally get what you guys are saying, and I agree with that. But what I'd like to know, and I'm not sure you have the answer for this, but you know, in recent drafts, I don't know, last year, last five years, how often, what is the percentage? I get teams moving up for that quarterback, but what is the percentage of teams moving around to move up in the first round uh, for a non-quarterback? I mean, I think the last year, and this is probably a bad example because it was only two spots, but you had Philadelphia jumping to get a wide receiver in Devontae Smith. You know, so what I would be curious about is I totally get it with the quarterbacks, totally get that this isn't a sexy quarterback class, but i got to believe there's got to be at least, I don't know, I'm going to say three teams that are going to probably move around in the first round, and, uh, and I don't think all three would be for a quarterback. So you're probably right. It probably wouldn't be both five and seven. At the very least, I would do it with one of them because Gettleman didn't do a whole hell of a lot, in my opinion, but I thought that trade was the best thing that he well, but also, done, but see, no, and I'm not disputing anything, but Justin Fields, the Bears wanted Justin Fields. You understand? They wanted to move up to grab a quarterback. They were willing to give up those assets. Off the top of my head, the example that I could give you is when the Steelers took Devin Bush in 2019, okay, they wound up moving up to grab Devin Bush, and he was the 10th overall pick. So, I mean, there's an example of a non-quarterback in terms of what the Devin Bush trade entailed, let me try to bring up the details so I could give you... No, and and yeah. as you're bringing up the details, and that's a really good point, but think about that, that, that Justin Fields trade. I mean, I don't know, my personal opinion, I don't think he was worth 11. Maybe he will turn out to be. But there's always that team that's going to be foolish enough to get in there, yes, for a quarterback. Um, but there's always going to be that team foolish enough to throw us what they did last year with the Bears. So I, just, I, I know it could happen with the fifth pick. I know it can, but, um, you know, again, I said that would be my dream to do it with both of them to turn two players into eight, which is a good example. And I, listen, I understand where you're coming from, Chris, and we'll let you go appreciate the phone call. But once again, Paul, I still argue I think teams are willing to sacrifice a little bit more when it means grabbing a quarterback who they believe could be a franchise game-changing type of player. I brought up the Devin Bush trade. So this was 2019 when the Broncos and the Steelers swapped spots. So you had Denver receiving Pittsburgh's 2019 first-round pick and second-round pick. So that was number 20 and number 52. And 
a 2023rd round pick. So the reason I'm bringing that up, Paul, is they didn't get an additional first round selection out of that. Now you could argue right. the Giants are a little bit higher than where the Broncos were because the Broncos were at 10, whereas the Giants are 5 and 7. Okay, but they still didn't get an additional first round pick, which was what the caller was bringing up. So that was a non-quarterback trade. You swapped ones. You got a second round pick and a third round pick the following year. That was what you wound up getting in return, essentially. I mean, just off the top of my head, I remember in in the middle of the first round, I want to say it was 2002, when Jeremy Shockey came out of Miami. And it was one of those few times that Ernie Acorsi uh, wound up you know, making a first-round deal. He traded and moved up a spot with Tennessee because he wanted Jeremy Shockey. And he was convinced that Cleveland was going to deal with Tennessee and move ahead of the Giants and grab Shockey. So he wound up doing a trade with Tennessee so he could move up to, I want to say it was only one spot. It was like, Yeah, it was 15 to 14. Right. Because okay, I there just you looked go. it up. Okay, yeah. there you go. And, and it was because he absolutely wanted Jeremy Shockey. He had conviction. We got to get this guy. And that's really what it comes down to. Quarterback or not, you have to absolutely be desperate that I got to get that guy if you're going to make a move up in the first round. And I'm looking up, so I think it was the swap of the first rounders, and then there was a fourth rounder that was involved in that trade, Paul. Yeah, because they only moved one yeah, spot, right? Exactly. No, of course, right. one spot you're not going to have to give up a lot. But exactly. the reason why, no, the reason why I'm glad you brought that up is because I was giving you the Pittsburgh-Denver example, which was more recent, but that was that's 10 spots we're talking about. You went from 20 to 10, and all you did was you got a third-round pick the following year and a second-round pick, but you still didn't get a first-round pick. That's my point. If the whole attractiveness is to get a first-round pick for 2023 to maybe increase your chances if you need a quarterback, 10-spot differential, that still didn't land you an additional one, and there was no quarterback involved in that. And so, Yeah, and, that, and you know what? So realistically, Lance, and I think you and I both understand the attraction you know, oh, well, if we don't have conviction, let's move down and let's see if part of this deal can get us a first rounder for 23, especially if the Giants are going to need to make a quarterback move, right? Because we still have uncertainty around Daniel Jones. I get people who say that, but to do that, as you just illustrated, to get that one in 23, you're going to have to drop like a stone. I mean, put on, put on cement shoes. How far <laughs> down are you going to yeah. have to go? And that means you're going to take yourself out of the running of perhaps one of the bigger playmakers and then get into that muddy area of 14 through 25, which we were just talking about, where maybe you don't necessarily have that pro bowler. And the Giants right now are in a position where they need to find those pro bowlers. They need to find those difference makers. So those are the pros and cons of what you have to weigh, essentially, even if you were to entertain a potential move. All right, that is going to wrap things up for us in terms of Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be up and running again on Thursday at noon Eastern as we look ahead to the start of free agency as well as the latest with respect to the draft. Appreciate everybody tuning in for today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It's part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Thursday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.